If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature this podcast is powered by Acast it's midweek podcast time how are you doing there how are you head <laughs> apart from burp John just belched into the microphone excuse me Excuse me. Oh my God, that's terrible. I am very good. It's quite a, it's quite a good opener. It doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Devastating news this week. What happened to you? Jim Steinman. Oh, you're bad out of hell, man. He died of kidney failure this week. And you know, it's funny. Bad out of hell, meatloaf, Jim Steinman hadn't crossed my mind in 30, 40 years. And then we start playing them and get giddy. And, and the guy dies. And the guy ups and dies. And what about Morrissey? We mentioned Morrissey the other day, and then the same day, the Simpsons took the mickey out of him. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> the kiss oh, of death, this podcast. The kiss <laughs> of death. Come here. There was a great um, little riff on Twitter this Go week. Go on, tell us. A guy called Connor Doyle. Woo! How okay. you doing, Connor? Suggested that we should have at least five pints. Each. Each. Okay. Before we do a podcast. But little does Connor know. That we kind of, maybe not have five, but at least no, a couple of pints. There are a couple of pints, which is grand. But Marcus Houlihan from The Long Haul, one of my favourite pubs, has said he'd gladly host a podcast recording. In The Long Haul? In The Long Haul. Let's do it. I'd love to do it. Let's do it. The Long Haul is one of Dublin's great bars. And you know what I love is the actual bar itself, all the glittery bits, well, the you, glittery mirrory bits in the yeah. back of it. It's My really mother used to drink there back in the day, back in the 50s. In the long haul? In the long Come haul. Oh, karma. Yeah. Garden. The, and no, then we, they headed out to the three mile pubs outside. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that we were <laughs> talking about the three mile in. But you know what we could do? I remember when I was in college, I used to love the idea of circumnavigating Trinity drinking. So we could <laughs> right. start in Mulligan's. No, we could start in the Lincoln's Inn. Remember the Lincoln's Inn? Used oh, yes. to be very small. Now it's a bit more swanky. Yeah. And you could swivel around to Mulligan's and then you could go to the Palace Bar. Yeah. And then from the Palace Bar, you could go to the Stag's Head. Yeah. And then from the Stag's Head, you could go to the Long Hall. Yeah. The Long Hall, you could go to McDade's and then up to Neary's. Yeah. Yeah. And then around yeah. the back to Kyo's. Ooh. And then you'd be, it's a, it's a total. Then we're sorted. It's a 360 tour around <laughs> Trinity. Let's actually do that. We should do the podcast and the 360. Well, here's you know, a better one. 360, here's... we should do like 360, you know, economics. Mac, here's a better one. Let's start with the long haul because that's a stunning Yeah, we pub. start with the long haul. And then let's do a pub in every county. Oh, that'd be great. That would be a, a superb. 32 county. 
Absolutely. Podcast trip. Yeah. I would love that. Okay. And there'll be a, the thing is, there'll be a story from each one. Well, what we need to do is this shout out now. What are the best pubs in your county? Okay. Boom. What's the there best pubs go. in your county? We should do that. That'll be a total laugh. Yeah. And then can we do my little micro around Dublin 1 and... Yeah, absolutely, Dublin yeah. 1 and 2 trip. Just like, imagine if I can start the long That could be a, a, a during the week thing. <laughs> now, speaking of health issues, yeah. I want to talk about COVID because this week has been the worst week. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, just when we think we're getting better, right? And the yeah. UK is getting better. Ireland's getting better. Yeah. Europe... Light at the end of the tunnel and all that. The worst week yet in the whole pandemic globally for COVID cases, India, Latin America going through the roof. And I want to talk about later on yeah. with Adam Posen, yeah. you know, from the, yeah. the Peterson Institute. I want to talk about the absolute need or his idea, and he's right, for a global response. His basic idea is like, you know, nobody's safe unless everyone's safe. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing is I was talking to somebody who knows about these things and she was making the point that normally when a disease mutates, it mutates into a weaker form of the original. And the reason being- A weaker form? Yeah, the reason being because the disease needs the host to stay alive. So if you yeah. think that the, the odd thing is these diseases are what they call these diseases of crowds. Yeah. So if we die, they die. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So the most successful disease is the one that doesn't kill you, but propagates itself and can pass it on. Mm. So normally what happens in these sort of diseases is they- Every iteration is slightly weaker because it wants the host to live slightly longer. So it can live slightly longer. Mm. But it does appear in this one that some of the iterations now and the variants are stronger, which doesn't make much biological sense, but it's actually what's happening. Yeah. So we're going to go to Adam Posen, who's the head of the Peterson Institute, which is, we had him the other day talking about taxation in Ireland, yeah. which is the number one think tank in the world. You know, not shabby. <laughs> a fellow you'd meet at the bar at the long hall yeah. but that's the beautiful thing about bars at the moment you wouldn't actually, a lad like that actually Adam is one of those guys you'd love to meet, meet. at the bar at the long hall <laughs> yeah, yeah, well yeah. let's talk to Adam and the next time we talk to him we'll bring him back here at the bar at the long hall let's go to the States Adam how are you how are you doing nice to see you again great Thanks to see you great to see you how's everything in the States all good yeah oh fabulous look <laughs> well, you get compared to the January surge compared to the open violent revolt compared to having an evil president, you know, things are good. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got so many vaccines, you're going to have a few hundred surplus, 100 million surplus. And we're not even giving them to Canada and Mexico, which is just unbelievable. Well, this is what we want to talk about. This is this yeah. is part of the whole thing. And, and listen... Forget Canada and Mexico. What about your long lost cousins over here in our small yeah. island? <laughs> because we don't, we're miles behind. Well, we're not miles. We're, we're catching up. But I mean, yeah. the start well, we, was pretty bad. We, we, our, our, we have a guy, Jacob Kierkegaard, in our shop is tracking this. And, and I mean, it's still terrible what's happened, but he expects Europe to be pretty much fully caught up by July. Really? And including Ireland basically all of EU to be like fully caught up by July. That doesn't mean everybody vaccinated, but up to everybody running at current US pace and having enough supply. Well, that would be great because, I mean, there is a real sense that, uh, well, again, we're obviously overshadowed by the UK. The UK are doing very well. I think we should look at France and Germany, which seem to be really making a, I don't know, it's amazing for, Adam, had you told me 
that there was going to be a global pandemic and it was going to catch us obviously by surprise. There would be the lockdown and then science would have a breakthrough and producers would produce vaccines. I would have probably bet the house that Germany would have been the country that would have rolled out the vaccines, would have got the production, would have ramped it up, would have organized everything. Can you explain what's happening in countries like Germany and France? It's kind of like the analogy with stock movements. You know, you can always ex post rationalize what happened, but the fact is you didn't predict it right, who was going to be the winner or the loser beforehand. And David, this has been one of the most amazing things about the response to the pandemic is that the countries that on paper should have been the best at handling things were not. And countries that one didn't expect to do well held up. So, I mean, there were a bunch of people, myself included, who last February, a year ago February, saw the virus coming in in China and a few other places and thought, oh, it's going to be this incredible um, stress test for, for despotic governments and undeveloped countries. And, oh, look, here's the list of who's got great public health preparations in U.S. and U.K. are at the top, and there's Germany, and, there's, and it hasn't worked out that way at all. Um, and I think this is not only a good humbling lesson, it just tells you how important it is to emphasize the multidimensionality of this, that, you know, UK can have the NHS and do a good job on vaccinations after doing everything possible wrong on public communication and lockdowns. The US can have wildly divergent outcomes across different states and, and it changing over time. The state I grew up in, Massachusetts, was way ahead in terms of public health management and now is way behind and is one of the states with the worst fourth surge. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. And, and this is one of the things we've tried to emphasize is, you know, there was a lot of, spot, a lot of shallow stuff saying, oh, it's because China can do a lockdown and China can do, it's a democracy and that's why it works. Well, there are a bunch of democracies, including noisy, contentious democracies around the world, including Taiwan, including New Zealand, including Israel, including Chile, that have, you know, gotten their act together and done pretty damn well, despite being very contentious, messy democracies. So, so it's no simple answer. Yeah, no, it's funny because, I mean, what the pandemic has revealed is exactly that there's no simple answer but what you guys have just published, which is a fascinating, fascinating piece of research, it's almost like a book rather than a piece of research, is what is economic policy like in a pandemic? And what happens if it's not, as they say, kind of one and done? You know, this idea that you get one jab and we're over and that this pandemic ends up being chronic, that it ends up going on and on, mutating, whatever. Tell me, what are the main findings of this, this, of your big idea? Thank you for giving me the opportunity, David, to bring this to your audience. So Lee Peterson Institute published an ebook. I mean, it's a, it's a collection of essentially 12 short essays on economic policy for pandemic age. And it's got two purposes. Purpose one is saying that we're in a pandemic age, that it is not likely that this pandemic goes away, especially given the failures of international cooperation, meaning that vaccine distribution, you mentioned already, there are you know, billion shots available in the US and tens of millions of shots available in Sub-Saharan Africa. 
And that means there are, and there's injustices inside the US and in other places and how the vaccines are distributed. And that means you get mutations and persistent populations who are sick and new variants of what are called variants of concern that you can't necessarily control. But also not just the pandemic, this pandemic being persistent, but that there are ongoing risks that, that you know, it's a hundred years since the so-called Spanish flu, but it's not going to be a hundred years for the next one. That was kind of lucky. The second thing beyond a, a call to arms is us trying to give some very practical next steps. And they're centered around three basic points. Point one is identifying the idea that there are, if you neglect certain populations, whether globally or within our societies, that what are the risks of just making the disease worse or making the disease recurrent? Um, so and again, ex that's explain that this. to me. Explain that to me because there was a, there was yeah. a good, there was a very interesting. You, you had a an example, Adam, from the city Manaus in the Amazon. Now, many many people listening, or some people listening, might remember the. I don't know if you remember this, John, the extraordinary movie Fitzgeraldo. Uh, no, Fitzgeraldo. No, no, no. Well, it's Fitzgerald. It's about one of ours, right? right Fitzgeraldo yeah. was this crazy guy who decided he was going to build an opera house in the middle of the Amazon. Okay, right. It's a true story. It's a true story, based on a true story, right? And the city of choice was Manaus, which was in the rubber boom of the last part of the 19th century, like 1895, 96, yeah, yeah. was this bonanza city. And all sorts of characters were, 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 were rocking up there. It's a great movie. Klaus Kinski, the mad, the mad oh, yeah, Klaus Kinski. Yeah, yeah. In it. Anyway, Fitzgeraldo. Natasha Kinski's sorry, dad. Natasha Kinski's dad. I've gone yeah. off on a tangent, but that's, a, that's what the, oh, the good thing. Great tangent. The, I wish we had used this. <laughs> but Adam, so you used the, the example of Manaus. Yeah. Forget Fitzgeraldo. Yeah. We can do another podcast on mad Latin American movies. I actually believe, and Mick Jagger, I think, financed the whole thing, which is oh. another, another weird, wonderful little bit of nonsense. But... You use the story of Manaus to tell a bigger story. Tell me the story of Manaus and COVID. My colleague, Monica Dibolo, who's very prominent in the Brazilian economic and health discussions, um, had brought this to our attention. And she and Mario Obsfeld and Chad Bound went into it. And it is this incredible story of, of failure that because Bolsonaro as president of Brazil was in total denial like Trump about the importance of this and the reality of the disease for whatever crazy reasons, you ended up having the failure to lock down, failure to track and trace, let alone now the vaccination problems. And so what happens is you get a few people who get over the disease, thank God they survive. And, but then the disease mutates because the disease wants to survive and getting over the disease kills the disease. So it, you start getting new strains. This is, this is biological evolution on hyperspeed because you're yeah. dealing with these one cell creatures or not even cells because it's a virus. And so what happens is you get new strains that have different attributes and that means they may be more transmissible or more deadly or more infectious, meaning it gets to more people more quickly, or more persistent. And then you get the risk that even when you have vaccines, you have to adapt the vaccines to these new strains. And what happened in Manaus was exactly this. You had a, a crowded group of people in the middle of the Amazon, like you said, hours from other places, surrounded by trees and wild animals who didn't got to incubate 
I mean, they got to be a, a Petri dish, essentially, for this, for this new variant. And it turned out to be an incredibly virulent variant. Now, thank God, it looks like at least a couple of the mRNA vaccines are able to handle it. But it is a much deadlier version of what we've got. The death rates and the spread are much higher. The final thing just to say is it didn't stay in Manaus. You know, even though it's not like Manaus is Disney World and there are millions of people going back and forth every day, it doesn't stay put. It moves. That's why we say if you don't control this everywhere, you don't control this anywhere. So this is what you're saying. So Manaus is a microcosm of what will happen. This is the chronic side, because, I mean, I'm a kind of a silly optimist when it comes to this. I'm hoping that, you know, I get my jab. That'll be it. I'll, I'll be gone. Right. We'll be all be gone. But what you're saying is, hold on a second. This thing is capable of mutating. Manaus is just a microcosm. It's visually, actually, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting microcosm because you can see it in this big city. This is what is going to happen unless we get vaccines to everyone. That's one of your main message, that Manaus will happen. It could be in the Philippines next time. It could be in Africa. It could be in Europe. But the disease is clever. It wants to mutate. It wants to survive. And as a result of that, unless we actually have some sort of international coordination, on pandemic control, we're going to get these outbreaks. Yeah, and in econ speak, and I know your your audience thinks econ. You know, there's a there is an externality here that this means that if I in the U.S. in Ireland wherever spend my money and do my lockdowns totally focused on the domestic situation, I am under subsidizing controls elsewhere in terms of what it affects my risk. Yeah. So, so if I spend just at home, I am not doing enough to protect my own people. And, and that's, that's the key point. And, you know, if you're up New Zealand, maybe you can get away with it, but you really have to be New Zealand. And most of us are not New Zealand and New Zealand ain't going to do very well if it stays in complete isolation. Well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing. It's not sustainable for a country to basically isolate itself indefinitely from the rest of the world. The smaller and more isolated you are, the, the more chance you have on a health basis of making a complete lockdown work. But the smaller, more isolated you are, the less chance you have on an economic basis of surviving an extended lockdown. Yeah, no, absolutely. But there's no easy way out. I, and, I, and what you're saying in this Peterson idea is that we kind of almost like have a centralized fund because there's one thing that also makes me kind of optimistic is you know, after the First World War, you get the League of Nations. After the Second World War, you get the United Nations. There is sometimes moments where the world says, hold on a second, we've got to cooperate. Is it fair to look at this and say, you know, potentially we could get a... a, a, a a mass cooperation on vaccines and public health after this? That is the hope and that is the legitimate aspiration. And so in February, the G7 countries, the major industrialized democracies, and then the G20, various other countries came together and said, we should be thinking in terms of an international treaty. And one of our Contributions, I think, in this, this ebook is Chad Bowne and Tom Boyke, who were out there in front talking about vaccine nationalism a year ago, propose a specific set of treaty steps. Okay, tell, us, tell me about these. So the contribution is to come up with a plan for how to actually make global spending most useful and most effective. And the idea, again, goes back to this basic economic idea that 
there are gains to be had by doing this on a global scale. You have a, a bigger impact on reducing risk. You have a bigger impact in reducing the number of variants which are potentially dangerous. You have a bigger impact in terms of scale economy that you can produce things. A given vaccine has 300 plus components. And even if you're Germany, even if you're the US, you cannot source all those at home and you cannot get them distributed the way you want to just through your home network. And so this is why the core of this treaty proposal we have is about these practical steps on spending and distribution. We also have an essay by Reinhilde Fuglers, who's a European R&D expert, and she talks about the advantages of having much better sharing of information. In, 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 you need some amount of competition. We saw the benefits of that. Sure. The race vaccines out, but you also need then some amount of compromise not to get rid of the patents, because if you do, unfortunately, you're not going to have future vaccines. But to balance that with distribution and letting people produce these at scale. And then we also emphasize a component about the distribution aspects. And we've got their various case studies, good case studies of Taiwan and South Korea and China, bad case studies about Europe and the US. And, and there are things that can be done at a global level to like working with what's called COVAX, which is the semi-public initiative the Gates Foundation and others pushed. And you need, again, to scale that up and get people involved. Our, our fundamental point is that international cooperation isn't just some nice kumbaya thing in this situation. It is directly in people's interests, and there are practical steps. And finally, on the public health front, Monica Debola pushes the idea rightly that you need much more tracking and testing of what's the genomic signature, because what you're worried about are these variants. And so you need to invest money in seeing what the Manaus variant or the UK variant or the multiple variants in sure. South Africa really are. And again, this is one of these things that gets underinvested if each country looks at it. But if you put it together and everybody chips in, you get much bigger benefits for the body. But I mean, Adam, if we look at you know, the last time we spoke, and I've been reading your stuff for, for quite a while, we spoke about, you know, nationalism, patriotism, the move the, the mass movements in the world are not the mass movements, unfortunately, of one nation, one globe, multilateralism. I mean, arguably, we're at the worst possible political inflection point to try and push a sort of united global response. We are, but as you just said, there are instances in our history, David, in the 20th century where huge global disasters led to global responses. You mentioned the League of Nations, the UN, there are other more specific examples even in public health. We, you know, the polio vaccine, the, the, the smallpox vaccines. We can think now about trying to move this forward. And the key thing is it, there is this excessive sense of distrust among the political leaders that they're worried about appearing being too accommodating, but this is actually, you know, not that much money, and this is actually not that intrusive on people. So it, it, it can be done. It can be done. I'm not saying it will be done, but, the, but we do think, we try to pick topics at Peterson where we actually think there's a hope of getting something done. We just don't, don't write just aspirational blue sky pieces. And so we do think there's some hope. And in terms of your contact, so let's say with the US government, because I know you guys are listened to by the you know, State Departments, et cetera, is, do you get a sense that the Biden administration 
has, because somebody has to lead. This is a very interesting thing. You know, there always has to be the hegemon. There has to be the big guy who says, all right, we're going that way. At the end of the Second World War, it was clearly the United States. At the end of the First World War, maybe one of the problems was there was no hegemon. And even we, we even believe that Wilson actually had the Spanish flu when he was actually negotiating Versailles at the time. You know, So there was a lot of things going on. But after the Second World War is a good example. Do you think that Biden has this vision that America needs to lead the world in this? Unfortunately, he doesn't prioritize it as much as one would hope. He, he, he has more of a vision of the possibilities of international cooperation by far than his predecessor, um, but also than, I think, Obama. And he is very politically aware of examples from Wilson through Obama of Democratic presidents who, Democratic Party presidents, yeah. who did not carry with them the domestic public on an international sure, I get you. So he's always looking over his shoulder in, in a way. Yeah. And and so I think there is room to see this happen, but we got to be clear. They're not prioritizing this to the extent we hoped. What the biggest move that we've seen so far, there are two moves in literally the last week or so. One is Secretary of the Treasury Yellen finally said what we and a few others have been saying she articulated, if this disease isn't under control everywhere, it's a threat to us anywhere. And again, that's not just a cute, we are the world slogan, it's the reality. And so that was an important recognition by a cabinet official in the Biden administration. The other thing was they created a new job with a perfectly competent person to be in charge of global vaccine issues, which up till now, they've not had anybody whose responsibility was that. All that said, they're not walking into the, the spring meetings of the IMF, World Bank, G20, G7 with, a, with an agenda here. And that's what we're trying to change. Well, let's see what, let's see what happens, Adam. Listen, it's a very good, good paper. I'm going, to give out, I'm going to give out the email after this. Well, listen, it's great to talk to you. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for having me back, David. It's great to talk. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Adam is always really interesting, isn't he? Yeah, but, he's a fascinating geezer. But what do you, what you think about what he was saying there? Well, I think what he's trying to say is that COVID is not going... Look, I, as I was saying to him, I'm one of these people who thinks one and done, one jab and we're gone. Mm. He's saying, no, that 
it looks like this is a just a clever disease. Like we kind of always forget that the disease wants to survive. And survival for the disease means mutating against vaccines, right? So yeah. if, you, if you imagine that the disease has its own brain and it's intelligent, it's an intelligent life form. So it's trying to survive against us. So if you think about it, the way in which these diseases progress is it's always based on the most susceptible next person. So the disease, in order to survive, needs to in some way enlist us as humans in its endeavor to progress. But isn't that the whole point about why there's such a need for speed in order to beat the evolution of the virus? So the the quicker you you hit it and kill it, the, the less better. chance the it has, exactly. has to to, to multiply. You know. Yeah. So therefore, what he's saying is there have been times in the past where humans, the world, when faced with a trauma like the Second World War, mm. has actually got together and done the UN and it's done the IMF, it's done the World Bank, and America's usually the leader in this thing. And it basically says, we are going to do something for the world, which ultimately we don't necessarily get a payoff straight away, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Remember this guy, Jonas Salt? Did I tell you about him, the guy who came up with the, mm-hmm. with the cure for polio? Oh, yeah, go on. Jonas Salk, a very, very brilliant American biologist, I think of Norwegian origin. And he came up with the cure for polio after years and years and years of working on it. So a huge amount of his own personal effort yeah. and his team. And once he came up with the the result uh, with the with the vaccine, everyone was thinking, oh, they're going to make money. He never, ever patented. Ever. He didn't patent his invention. Oh, deliberately, so he, of course. Deliberately, he said, yeah. I want to be a good ancestor. I want to be the man who gives away the polio vaccine so you, the world, can actually live well. Good. So Good. he was thinking like it's a massively altruistic act. Now I was thinking that you don't need that this time around, although it would be really nice for the pharmaceutical companies to do so. But what you need to do is you need to realize the economic prize for suppressing this disease is so huge and it's so immediate that we all have a vested interest in this cooperation. Because if you think that what's actually happened over the last 12 months particularly in the rich countries, Mm. is that people have saved an enormous amount of money. The World Bank believes $3 trillion has been saved by Mm. people in the West. Well, how do you mean they've saved? In in what way? Because we're not going out. So we're not going out. Okay. So normally in a recession, what happens, right? The the great example is after the Second World War, right? We think that these privations we're going through, lockdown and a lot of that, are really, really vicious. In the Second World War, in the United States, they shifted so much production to the war effort, there was only 38 cars built in the United States in 1942. Hmm, really? Yes. What were they, Ford? I presume they were Fords. Yeah, yeah. By the end of the Second World War, when they got motoring, they were building four or five million a year, right? Wow. So the okay. idea is when you actually shift production, right? So what has happened here is we've all been told to stay in, you can't go out, you can't buy anything. Well, mm. You can buy online, obviously. But, you know, we're not doing what we used to do. So what has happened is this enormous pool of savings has been building up, building up, building up. The World Bank thinks it's $3 trillion, right? Wow, that's incredible. Of savings that haven't been spent. So if somebody says, you know what, via coordination, via cooperation, we now have enough vaccines for the world, right? For the whole world, not just the rich things. People are going to say, well, what are we going to do with this money? And there is a high, high chance that what happens next year, the year after the year after, we go through a monumental boom 
in the global economy. Because all those savings, this is like what they call pent-up demand. Mm. Everyone's waiting for somebody to actually fire the gun and say, now we can go out go and for it. start again. Yeah. So we could be looking, John, at the biggest boom the global economy has seen for decades. And what Adam is trying to say is that the upside in cooperating now is so enormous. Right? But the problem is, at the moment, America has, what, 100, 200 million extra vaccines? They're not even giving it to Canada. They're not even giving them to Mexico. Yeah. How do they think they're going to suppress the disease? Because the Canadians travel. Yeah. We know. Yeah, we've got yeah. one of them here. <laughs> they make cocktails and they travel, right? Canadians travel. So the idea Come is on, that... But, but his Manaus example... Yeah. We're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. Fitzgerald. i talking about that another time. But his Manaus example is that unless you suppress it everywhere, you suppress it nowhere. Yeah. For example, in the United States, because they let the disease run kind of rampant mm. under the Trump years, the upside of that is they're going to reach herd immunity quite quickly because they have the people right. who already yeah. got the disease yeah. who are immune and they have the vaccine. So the United States will emerge quicker. Countries that suppressed the disease, like New Zealand and Australia, will not reach herd immunity until everyone's vaccinated. So they may well be, it's kind of, it's funny, you know. They, yeah, no, that's an interesting point. They might in the future be miles behind everybody. So basically, a country oh, like yeah. the UK that kind of let it rip as well last year, mm. and now they're doing well in the vaccine. So the combination of already infected and vaccination means you're going to come out quickly. So, mm. the Yanks, so, so herd immunity is going to be a function, ironically, of delinquency last year and unbelievable technology this year. Right. right. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. But, again, it doesn't really matter because the economy can't open until everybody's open. So adding to what Adam's saying, what I'm saying is that the economic upside for getting your act together now on the vaccine is enormous. So consequently, governments should set up and we should have a, a global approach because once we get a global approach, even if it seems really expensive now, the, the upside is going to be huge because you think what, what, what's going to happen when people start to spend. Mm. This means that tax revenue is going to go up really rapidly. It means that employment is going to go up really rapidly. It means unemployment is going to fall really rapidly. It means that we're going to end up with budget surpluses quite soon. All the talk now is of budget deficits and debts and how are we going to pay yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But actually, it's only cyclical. It's only the great cycle. So what we've done is we have taken the cycle by the scruff of the neck and stopped it. Now, wait until people start to go out and spend. And what you'll see is that all these budget deficits that people worry about will disappear. So, John, what we have is this extraordinary potential pent-up demand, mm. right? Now, obviously, there's a problem with that because, you know, rich people save more because they're wealthier to begin with. So it's not that everybody's going to spend. And, yeah. you know, and we've seen the rich have got a lot richer in the pandemic. That's been one of the weird, wow. the weird Especially things. Especially Bezos. Bezos and, and the mini Bezos. Yeah, There's yeah. loads of mini Bezos. Yeah, there are, there are, there are. But the idea here is that, you know, you have normally in a recession, what happens when people get scared, they don't spend, they save. But also in a recession, people's incomes fall dramatically. Because governments all over the West have given out COVID payments, yeah. incomes haven't fallen that dramatically. So you have saving at a time when your income is actually still quite high. And that's this pent-up demand, and that will cascade down into the economies, yeah. which is exactly why global cooperation now is the least expensive option. So do you think then that we need a new 
shall we say, global architecture. Oh, global architecture. Hey, you know where I'm coming from, though, don't you? I know where you're coming from. What can I say? Global architecture. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. You're right. It does need, like, I mean, if you think that global architecture is an institutional idea, that you rebuild the world, you say, okay, we have been threatened by something which doesn't recognize race or boundaries or religion or wealth. It's a disease. It's a pandemic. And the thing mutates. So we're going to, this is going to happen again and again and again. Like we could now be in the world of the era of pandemics. And the yes. reason we could be in yeah. the era of pandemics is because pandemics jump from, they're, they're what they call crowd diseases. Yeah. And they jump from the sick to the susceptible. That's how they work. Mm. The more we crowd together, the more we travel, the more we trade, the more globalized the world is, the more we're going to have pandemics. That's what, we had a pandemic, you know, the Black Death, John. <laughs> a Black it, Death, indeed you too. But it, why did it happen? Why did it jump from the far side of the Black Sea to Italy into Europe because of the Genovese traders in the Black Sea because of globalization? It started in, you know, yeah. in the Crimea. Yeah. So what Adam Posen was saying earlier on, this thing is going to come again and again. So we need, as you'd say, new global architecture. And the way to sell the global architecture is to say, you know what? If we get this thing under control, the economic rewards will be phenomenal because all these pent-up savings that we're talking about will cascade into the economy and the economy will be like an economy on steroids. And that's not a bad thing. Do you think that this COVID pandemic has created or may create a jumpiness across the globe that any sort of sickness that comes out. Good point. Yeah. Like a, like yeah, a, like yeah, a yeah. flu or, or whatever that mightn't be COVID-y. as deadly as COVID is. Do you think that we might kind of be very quick in the future to shut down and to, and to go into an emergency no, situation? I don't think we'll ever go to lockdown again. I oh, think, yeah, really? I think this has been a complete bullshit idea. I think when, at the moment, nobody can think straight. Right. Mm. I think if we give this two or three years of analysis, I think people will say this is nonsense. We just went the wrong way. We just went the wrong we way. We just went overboard. Completely overboard. And Ooh, it'll be an it'll be it'll one. be test and tracing, like the Taiwanese example. Mm. Uh, I mean, lockdown is lockdown is nonsense. I mean, even the World Health Organization said do not lock down. That's mm. the last thing you should do. I mean, I think Keynes once said, and it's a really good quote, he said, sometimes it's far more difficult to escape from a bad idea than it is to create a good idea. And I think lockdown's a bad idea and we're going to take, it's going to take a while to escape from it, but when we do, we'll never go back there. So why do you think it's a bad idea? Because testing and tracing is much more effective. You can isolate where it is. If you really want to isolate this disease, we have the data, we have mobile phones, we have everything. You can isolate where this disease, of course, you need social distancing. Of course, you need to suppress the disease at a certain yeah. thing. Because again, it's, it's about jumping. The, the disease enlists the human. So like, if you think about it, right? how do you get COVID? You get COVID because I breathe on you or I sneeze on you. Mm. Right? So it means the disease has figured out how to enlist our own body functions to transport itself. It's actually quite clever. Yeah, right? yeah. However, Lockdowns, this, this idea of locking down the world, 
It's bullshit. But do you think then that anyone who gets sick, like a like your common cold or whatever, that people are going to be an awful lot more suspicious oh, of... Oh, they will be. And, and therefore, there'll be almost a prejudice if you've got a runny nose. But there's already prejudice in people with runny nose, John. As a man who suffered from sinus for all my life, <laughs> there's been a prejudice against no, But you know what I mean, though? Yeah, Seriously, like no, if... No, I think, I think... So somebody getting on a plane who's coughing a bit, like we're talking five, ten years down the line, and somebody getting on a plane and people are going, oh, Jesus, he's coming out of China no. or he's coming out of Brazil or he's coming out of wherever. And they're thinking, whoa. That actually, could happen. That could happen. I, I think people will forget quite quickly. Mm. My sense is humans forget, we move on, we forget, which is why we're blindsided by things all the time, because we actually forget. Well, it's human, it's yeah. human nature to actually move on, to suppress, to, you know, you, like people who've gone through the most traumatic experiences, like, I don't know, Holocaust survivors, many of them really suppress those memories and they try to put them in a box. I, this is nothing like this. My sense is that we will look at the mass lockdowns as being really a, it's, it's, it's that idea of using a mallet to crack a nut. Yeah. And I think I understand why we did it in the beginning. I understand the fear about the ICUs and all that. But if we locked down in order to protect the ICUs, which were fragile, the solution then is to build more ICUs, not lock down more. Now, why I have you there again. Why not use the time when you're locked up to learn economics? Join me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Let's learn economics together. We have the economics course. Macroeconomics has never been as essential to understand. We have the Ask Mac tutorials every other week. We have Q&A. We've got the reading list. And more importantly, you become part of the community. If you have a question, if you have something that's going on, you want to ask me, join me on Patreon. Email in. I will answer your question. But more importantly, it's ad-free. Just you and me and your man across the way. Hey. Patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And let's figure out the world together. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.